This morning, if you have your copy of the New Testament, you'll join me in turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 as we continue our conversation about reconciliation. That is our theme for the spring as we are studying what it means to be reconciled. You remember that the New Testament's written in Greek, and in the New Testament, the Greek word underneath that family of English words associated with reconciliation is taken from the accounting industry in the first century, where coins were exchanged and accounts were reconciled, as it were. That word, that concept was taken from the marketplace and given deep theological meaning by the New Testament writers. So with that said, let's look at this text today. And we are in the midst of a long conversation Paul is having with the church at Corinth. This particular piece of the conversation actually starts on page 8 of 2 Corinthians, where Paul turns his attention to this collection, this special offering. And then he brings it to conclusion, this part of the conversation in our text today. I've entitled the message, Reoriented Through Generosity. So if you look with me at 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6, Paul says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work, as it is written. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and everyone else and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. A conversation about generosity, Jesus actually connects it to reconciliation. Our topic, both of them today, in this booklet that we produced, Reconcile, and I've mentioned it to you before, they're available at various places throughout our campus. There's a section of theological reflection that Katie Reed Hodges, our Minister of Congregational Life, has written about reconciliation. Here's an excerpt from what she has written. She said, Jesus <clears throat> speaks clearly, <clears throat> excuse me, about the importance of reconciliation in Matthew 5, 23 through 24. If you're offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Well, the point that Jesus seems to be making 
is that our lives are connected on every level. You can't compartmentalize your lives as Christians. Everything about us is integrated together, whether it's our relationships, um, the living out of our faith, our worship life, our spiritual life, our generosity. All of it is integrated and connected as followers of Jesus. And that's the point Jesus seems to be making. So in the midst of a, of a journey of reconciliation, which really is 2 Corinthians, Paul pauses and he offers the Corinthians an opportunity to be engaged in acts of generosity. So let's look at that because there's a certain context for 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And I just want to set that for you so that we can learn some lessons today about generosity. So what is the context of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9? Well, it's simply this. Paul collected a special offering from the Gentile churches in the first century for the impoverished members of the mother church back in Jerusalem. So you'll find in Paul's letters several occasions where he talks about this offering so, for example, in 1 Corinthians 16, Paul says, I want you, the Corinthians, to participate in this special offering. On the first day of the week, he says, set aside some money each week for this offering. Now, by implication, Paul seems to be alluding to the fact that the Corinthian church was now worshiping on the first day of the week, and that in their time of worship, Individuals in the church would set aside an offering for these Jewish brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. Now, after Paul writes these four letters to the church at Corinth, he makes these various visits there. We come to the end of Paul's missionary journeys, and he's back in Corinth. And while he's there, this very last time, he's already written 2 Corinthians, he writes another letter and it's in our Bibles, and it's the book of Romans. So Paul's in Corinth, and he writes the Roman church. And in Romans 15, Paul says this, I'm going to come to Rome. I'm going to Spain after I visit you. Before I come to Rome, I'm going to leave here, Corinth, and take this special offering to Jerusalem and give it to the church in Jerusalem. And then I will be on my way and hopefully I will come and see you. So that's the context of what's happening here in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. These two pages are the fullest elaboration of this offering we have in the New Testament. So why is Paul doing this? Why is Paul asking the church at Corinth to take up a special offering for the church in Jerusalem? Well, the short answer to that is we're not quite sure but we have enough evidence to give us some information that I think is helpful. Here's what Paul basically does. He writes the Gentile Christians in Macedonia, in Achaia, in Greece, and says, we're going to collect an offering for the mother church in Jerusalem. The mother church in Jerusalem is the first church in Christianity, and it is comprised of Jewish Christians. The churches in Macedonia, Greece, and Achaia are Gentiles. And Paul says, here's your opportunity to help our mother church. Now, in Romans, Paul makes a theological connection. 
And he basically says, because the Jewish Christians have received this gospel and have given it to the Gentiles, you have a connection with them. So here's your chance to bless them. Evidently, there were some impoverished members of the church in Jerusalem. That could be a result of numerous things. One of them was a, a, a series of famines that took place while Claudius was the emperor in Rome. And we have evidence outside the Bible of that. We have evidence within the Bible where that's predicted by a prophet in Antioch. So it could be that the famine had affected these people. Romans, I mean, Acts chapter 8 tells us they were persecuted in Jerusalem. So it may be they were being persecuted. So they weren't able to provide for their families as they would like to. But the point is, Paul is saying to these churches, you have a theological connection to the mother church of all of Christendom. Here's your chance to bless them. I want you to participate in it. And we're going to come to you, gather up the offering, and a group of us will take it to Jerusalem on your behalf. Okay, so does that make sense? That, that's what's going on, okay? Now, <clears throat> after this lengthy appeal, here's, here's what I want us to do this morning. Let's learn some insights about generosity as we read what Paul said in these writings. Here's the first lesson that I would share with you today. It's a challenge. We all face it. We all face the temptation of selfishness and what I would call stinginess. I'm not, I'm not sure stinginess is a word. I think if it's not, it ought to be. I think it, it might be a word. Some of y'all can look it up and give me the thumbs up. It's, I think stinginess is a word. Whether it's a word or not, it's real. <clears throat> and here's what Paul says. Look back at verse six. Paul takes this lesson from a farmer. Paul says, if a farmer sows sparingly, if a farmer is stingy with his seed, then the result is going to be a really small harvest. Now, I used to pastor two country churches when I first started preaching. Here's what I learned from those farmers. If you keep all the seed in the barn, you're not going to produce a crop. They had sense enough to know, put the seed in the ground and trust the harvest. Paul says, if you do that sparingly and you're stingy with the seed, don't be shocked at the harvest you get, which is going to be a small harvest. It's just a principle out of nature. Paul's applying it here to giving. The point is, our temptation, every one of us as human beings, is to be stingy. I read an article this week. <clears throat> Tesla is conducting a beta test right now. I don't know if y'all read this or not. And they're testing various self-driving modes for the Tesla vehicles. And they've given them names. One is called Chill. One is called Average. And one is called Assertive. If you're in the assertive self-driving mode in a Tesla, there will be smaller follow distances, more frequent speed lane changes, and a tendency to roll through stop signs. <clears throat> According to Yahoo, this is what Yahoo says about it, it offers you the option of determining just how much of a jerk you want to be while driving. <laughs> <clears throat> when I read that, I thought, you know, it's interesting. 
we're all born with an assertive mode operating system. The question we have to ask ourselves is just how much of a jerk are we going to be in how we live? For some people, they're very selfish, very stingy. You know, you notice it, those of you as parents. You remember when you brought that innocent, sweet little baby home from the hospital? Parents, you remember? Mm. Just stay tuned, right? Somehow or another, the assertive mode is just hardwired in to those children. One of the first words they learn is no. But one of the other words they learn very early, mine. And here's what I've discovered. Mine is not just a word we learn, but a way we live. <clears throat> Could I get a tweet out of that? Doesn't that sound tweetable? Not, not just a, a word we learn, but a way we live. It just is. We, for some reason, some people decide they're going to live as if everybody there is to serve whatever's mine. And that temptation to be selfish and be stingy is just real. I, I came across this quote this week um, in my research, William McGregor, W. McGregor, in his book, Jesus Christ, Son of God. He says this, a selfish man is never rich. His day is as long as his neighbor's, yet he has no leisure except for his own amusements, no sympathy or concern beyond his own perplexities, no strength but to fight his own battles, and no money except for his own need. What haunts his mind at every turn is the dread of having too little for himself. What a great summary of selfishness. No strength to fight anybody else's battles but your own. What a, what a sad commentary on how some people live. Well, Paul knew that was a very real temptation. He says, so if you want to be in general stingy, not just with this offering, but just in general, fine. Just know the result of that is going to be very little harvest in your life. So what's the corrective? I would say this, the corrective to me is to consider God. And can I say it this way? God is just rich. Can I just say it that bluntly? He is just rich, but he's so generous, isn't he? Aren't we grateful? I mean, God's abundance is God's natural habitat because God owns it all. He spoke it all into creation. I want you to look at this text. Look at verse eight of 2 Corinthians 9. Paul says, and God is able to bless you abundantly. Why? Because he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God can choose to bless however he wants to out of his abundance and he can bless you abundantly. Notice he says, so that in all things, at all times, you have it all you need, you can now abound in good work. Look, look at verse 10. God supplies seed to the sower, bread for food. He will supply, he will increase, he will enlarge. These are terms of abundance. That's God's natural habitat. So God created everything that is, and he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and yet he is so generous. He's our provider. Aren't you glad? Do, does anybody here, do any of us believe that God needs 
our money. I mean, does anybody believe that? What a joke. Do we honestly think that God needs our money? Seriously. I mean, no matter how much you give to anything, put an M in front of it, put a B in front of it, and you know what it is? A joke to God. Are you going to impress God by giving X number of dollars to any project? Do you think God is going to sit there and say, wow, how did they ever come up with that much? God is God, y'all, seriously. He doesn't need my money, but you know what he wants? He wants me to learn some valuable lessons about how to manage my life and grow as a person. He knows how much I need to give. And I don't mean just give financially. He wants me to learn the lesson of trusting him because he's God. And God is a God of abundance. And he's also a God who's generous. Aren't you glad? There is no such thing as a self-made anything. You cannot be self-made. You know why? Because God gives you everything you need before you ever start. God provides everything. Think about what he's done for you just today. I mean, just today. Last night, none of you went to bed last night thinking, okay, tomorrow, I got this. I'm going to make sure that gravity's working. So when I get up at 408 Dorcas, I know I'm not going to slide off the planet. So I'm going to I'm gonna have to give this a little bit of thought before I go to bed tonight. I'm going to make sure there's enough oxygen to breathe. I'm going I'm to make sure that, that all these uh, neurocenters in my brain are going to be connected. I'm going to make sure that my heart is pumping just the right amount of blood out and receiving just the right amount in. So none of y'all thought any of that. You just went to bed. And for some reason, we wake up in the morning thinking we're totally self-reliant when abs absolutely the opposite is true. Everything I have has been given to me by God. Just the ability, the ability to engage myself in any kind of productive endeavor is a gift from God Almighty. And the reason I have it is because he's so generous. I love that about him. Praise his name. He's my example. So with that said... Here's the gist of what I want me and you to learn today. So let's do this real quickly. This is what we're after, okay, in this conversation about generosity, reconciliation. It's the conforming work of Christ. That's really what we're after here. And I want to be clear this morning. The goal is not giving in and of itself. That's never the goal. The goal is much more complex. It's grace. It's, it's, it's growth. It's generosity. You see, another way to put it is the goal is to be conformed to the image of God's son. See, that's the goal. That's what Paul's talking about. He's using generosity as a place where you can experience it, a tangible expression of it. But that's really the goal. It's not about giving um, Anton Chekhov has written this wonderful short story entitled Difficult People. And, it, and it's about a dysfunctional family. I don't know if you've ever read it or not. But this boy is going back to college. 
And so he has this conversation with his mom and then eventually to his dad about what he needs. And so they have the meeting, the family meeting. And in this particular family, anytime you have that meeting with dad involved, it's tense. And so here's what I need. I need this many rubles to get back to school. And the dad is listening, okay. Well, the mom actually intervenes. And she says, now, you know, he also was going to need this because we didn't do this for him while he was there last year, so we need, we need this, okay. And if we really want him to be successful there, what, what we need to do is make sure we give this, okay. And finally the dad just says, hey, here, just take it all. Just rob me. And just throws his wallet down. You can have it all. And he just storms out. So now here's his little family. A tense night. Nobody slept. So the next day, the boy's getting ready to leave. And he walks by his dad's room and he sees his dad standing there by the window. Still in the same clothes he had on last night. He hasn't slept. And the boy says, bye dad. And the dad says, the money's on the table. The story ends quite interestingly. We don't even know if the boy took the money. It's interesting. But here's what I know. You can ruin a gift in the giving of it. And that's what this story's about. It's just not, it's not just about giving. <laughs> Anybody can give. And you can ruin the gift in how you give it. Well, Paul, is, he's, he's about something different than that, y'all. He, he's trying to teach us something deeper, not, not just about giving. Giving is a tangible expression of a deeper work of God in our lives, but, but what is God doing? What is God doing? Well, we have a ministry in our church. We call it Acts 11. Here's what it's based on. It's a ministry about stewardship and management and investing resources as God would have us to. Well, it's based on this. In Acts chapter two, when the church is birthed there in Jerusalem and all these Jews come to faith in Christ and they start what will become known as a church, the Bible says this in Acts two. They came together and they realized they were coming out of the synagogue, out of the temple. They were accustomed to worshiping. They were accustomed to giving. They gave, they, they sold things. They gave money. They brought it to the apostles and they took care of each other. And there was just this spirit of giving. Acts chapter four, we get another word from Luke. And Luke says the church was still meeting in Acts four there in Jerusalem and people were selling property and possessions and they were gathering things and collecting and the apostles were helping meet people's needs and it was advancing the gospel. Acts chapter eight, persecution comes and the church scatters. We come to Acts 11. That's where our ministry comes from. Acts 11, the gospel is now in Syria. Antioch. And in Syria, in Antioch, at this church in Antioch, the gospel was so powerful, so transformative, that the Jewish Christians there were worshiping with Gentiles. And they both had become believers. Barnabas goes, and the Bible says when Barnabas got there, he was glad because he saw the grace of God. He went and got Paul. 
And then Paul and Barnabas stayed there in Acts 11 in, in Syria. And the church grew. They taught them. They grew as disciples. Their number grew. And then they received a message that the church in Jerusalem, the mother church, was about to go through a famine and be impoverished. And they took up an offering and sent it to them and demonstrated their generosity. So Paul was at that church in Antioch and he saw it with his own eyes. He saw the grace of God. He saw growth and he saw generosity. Now here he is many years later. He's a seasoned missionary and he's writing the church at Corinth and he says, here's what I wanna see in you. I wanna see in you what I saw in Antioch basically. The grace of God. Go back to 2 Corinthians 8 verse one. And Paul says, I wanna tell you about the grace of the Macedonian churches, where Paul was when he wrote this letter. He said, these people, they're being very gracious in their giving. And the grace of God, Paul, as a matter of fact, refers to giving as the grace of giving in Acts 8, verse 7. That led Kurt Grice to write this. Kurt wrote this article in this book, Reconcile. He says, a key point in this matter of generosity is described in chapter 8. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Paul literally says, let your doing complete your willingness based on what you have. It's important that all gifts be given joyfully, not grudgingly. That's why he refers to it as the grace of giving. That's what Paul calls it. And so the grace of God is what this is about. You and I experiencing God's grace. And then what happens to us? Then we start growing and we start maturing and we start being obedient to the Lord. Look at verse 10 of 2 Corinthians 9. What's God after? A harvest of righteousness in your life. That's what he's after. He wants the right seed sown in your life so the right harvest will come. A harvest of righteousness. And then what does that lead to, y'all? Spiritual maturity. And guess what happens to spiritually mature people? They just become generous. As a matter of fact, what does Paul say in this text? God loves a cheerful giver. Now, you have to adopt a certain view to be a cheerful giver. You realize, like the farmer, when you give, you don't lose anything. You're investing, you're sowing. You know, that farmer, when he takes the seed, that corn seed out of his barn, and he puts it in the ground, guess what happens to him? He gets food to eat, he gets corn to sell, and he gets seed for next year. That's quite an investment, wouldn't you agree? You don't lose it, so when you and I give, we reap a great harvest. Well, when you, when you choose to give generously, there's a generous harvest. Generous people, to me, are experiencing spiritual growth in every area of their lives. Miserly givers, they shrink. They become like Ebenezer Scrooge, rich and poor at the same time. There's so many people that live their lives that way. But you and I are to be sowers, givers. <clears throat> God gives the seed. It doesn't mean that this means that if you give, God's going to bless you materially, financially. The Bible's so much deeper and richer than that. The point is, God is going to bring blessings into your life that you can't explain when you become a generous person. This is about the kingdom of God. It means that God both, both works in me and through me. The generous person experiences a blessing and then you're used by God for his glory because blessed people, blessed people, that's what happens. 
Years ago, I had a group of folks in my office from another country, and they knew nothing about Christianity, and they were visiting our church, and they wanted to talk with me. And one of them said, you have all these buildings. How much money does the government give you to provide for all these buildings? And I said, none. And they were very confused. We had a translator. Some of them didn't speak English. And finally, one of them said, well, where do you get the money for all of this? And I said, well, the people that you've seen there when you've come, they give the money. So the guy told them that. Well, they were, you know, da, da, da. They want to know, well, who do you tell them how much money they have to give to be a part of what you're doing? No, I don't. Then who tells them how much to give? And I said, well, actually, no one. I said, I talked about the Bible, that God has some things in his word about it. I said, but basically, it's just out of the freedom of their own heart, people give their money for the work of the church. He told them that. And finally, he said, why would they do that? Well, why would we do it? Why? It's the grace of God, that's why. It's not about my money. God is not calling us to, to become people who are foolish with our money. He wants you to be a good steward, be a good manager, provide as you need to. He just wants you to do it with, with a generous heart and a generous spirit that grows out of the grace of God in your own life that produces spiritual growth that results in generosity. And y'all, it's not just about our money, it's our lives. Generosity spills over into everything. James Michener wrote Texas, that was called. Uh, anyways, great writer, y'all familiar with him. A lady in his neighborhood was in a fundraising campaign. She knew him and she said, James, would you write these three or four paragraphs for us as a part of this fundraising effort? He said, I'd be glad to. She said, thank you. Time we're on, she saw him in the grocery store. She said, hey, I never have gotten that offer from him. Let me get that to you. Thank you. She saw him a little while later. She said, you know, I never got that offer. I said, I'm so sorry, he's here. So he pulls out a check. He said, let me just give you $1,000. So he wrote her a check. She said, I'm sorry, with all due respect, anybody can write a check for $1,000. But only James Mitchell can write the article that we want. We, I don't really want a thousand dollars. I want an article from you. And he was like, okay. And he did. He said the next day he dropped it off by her house and she was so appreciative. And it ended up producing so much more than his thousand dollars. Does that make sense? It's not, it's not just your money. I, I came across this photo. Let me show it to you. Yo-Yo Ma. Y'all know Yo-Yo Ma? He was in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. He went to get his COVID vaccine. And before they'd let him leave, he had to sit 15 minutes in a waiting room. So when he finished, he went up to the guy running the place and said, would you mind if I run home and get my cello and just come sit here at the back and just play for all these people while they're nervously waiting to figure out what's gonna happen to them? Uh, yes, that would be fine. <laughs> so Yo-Yo Ma would go down to the COVID vaccine place. I mean, what's he got, 100 Grammys? I don't know how many Grammys, whatever it is. And played for these people. They said several people would just sit there and weep. It was so meaningful to them. You know, in the height of the pandemic, he put on these free little pop-up concerts on Twitter. Uh, Songs of Comfort, he called them. It's, it's not about money, y'all. It, 
It's about you realizing who you are and how God can bless you so that you can bless others. See, God doesn't bless me so that I can be independent from other people. He blesses me so I'll be more interdependent and we will all be used by him for his glory and people will praise him and they'll be drawn to us because they'll be asking the very same question the guy asked me in my office today. Why do these people do this? Oh my goodness, let me tell you why we do it. (laughs) It's because of what God has done in my life and in yours. May that be the message they see and receive from us. Amen Amen and amen. Let's pray together. Father, we're, we're grateful, we're humbled by all that you do for us. We recognize you as the sovereign God, creator of the universe, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and we thank you for that, but we thank you, Lord, that you've chosen to share with us out of your abundance. Thank you. And Lord, may that example inspire us and challenge us to go and do likewise. And that's our prayer today in Jesus' name, amen.